open your scriptures to James chapter 1. We're going to continue our study tonight through the book of James and looking forward to that time as we continue in this book. It's already been a blessing uh, to me in study and preparation and I hope that it'll be a blessing to you as well as we continue to study it together. Um, before we read chapter 1, we're going to read all of chapter 1. I had mentioned to you last week that we were going to read the entire book tonight. And I asked that if there's anyone who wanted to participate in that uh, to let me know. I didn't get any volunteers, so I'm going to extend the time. We'll read through the book completely next Sunday. Well, we don't have church next Sunday night, do we? Or No, that's, that's, that's later. Next Sunday we do. We've changed the schedule so much I can't even keep up with it. So, But... Um, Anyway, we'll gather and we'll read it through. If you would like to read a chapter of James, uh, let me know. You don't have to come up here. We'll bring a microphone to you in your seat. But I'd love to have you involved in this scripture reading. So I'm going to extend the time a little longer for you to volunteer. Anyone can volunteer to read. And I just think it would be cool for us to read that book together the next time we come together on a Sunday evening. So if you would like to do that, let me know. You can contact the church office and they'll let me know, but let's do that. I think that would be a great thing for us to do. I could read it to you tonight, but that'd be kind of boring, I think. So not the scripture's boring, but you know what I mean. If you get involved and read it, I think it's going to be meaningful for all of us. So you pray about that, you think about that, and let us know if you would like to read uh, part of the book of James as we read the entire book together. But let's look at chapter 1 again together, James chapter 1, and uh, we'll read through it, and then we're going to look at this aspect of James being a servant. He comes right off in verse number 1. It says, James, a servant or slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes dispersed abroad, greetings. Consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask of God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without doubting. For the doubter is like the surging sea, driven and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded and unstable in all his ways. Let the brother of humble circumstances boast in his exaltation, but let the rich boast in his humiliation, because he will pass away like a flower of the field. For the sun rises... And together, for the sun rises and together with the scorching wind dries up the grass. Its flower falls off and its beautiful appearance perishes in the same way. The rich person will wither away while pursuing his activities. Blessed is the one who endures trials because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. No one undergoing a trial should say, I am being tempted by God, since God is not tempted by evil, and he himself doesn't tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. 
Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. By his own choice, he gave us birth by the word of truth, so that we would be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, humbly receive the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like someone looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue, his religion is useless and he deceives himself. Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. There is a lot of theology in James chapter 1, and we're going to look at it together over the next few weeks and, and uh, dive deep on it. But tonight we're just going to deal with that opening phrase in the very first verse. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to talk to you about servanthood and what that means and what we see in the scriptures about that. And obviously for all of us to just make personal application uh, to this, to our own lives, that we would certainly uh, know and, and understand about ourselves what kind of a servant that we are. So to get us started tonight, I just want to kind of hear you and, and hear from you. When you hear this idea of being a servant, what comes to mind? Servant. What do you think of when you hear the word servant? What comes to your mind? A helper. Yeah, excellent. That, that certainly is a function of a servant, right? To come and help someone to do something. What else comes to your mind when you hear the word servant? Yes. Okay, to be a help, a desire to help for sure. What else comes to your mind? The word servant, yes. Love and caring. Yep, you're not a very good servant. You won't be a servant if you don't have those. Okay. Yeah, we're going to talk about that a little bit. We've got a few things that I want to share with you about what it takes to be a servant. And you can't be willful yourself and be a very good servant. You have to know God's will and, and basically do that instead of your own. That's a good way to put it. What else? Yes. That's really critical, that we're ready to use our giftedness because opportunities, we don't know when they're going to come up, do we? And they come up in life, and if we're not ready to respond, we could miss them, right? And so that's, I hadn't even thought of that. That's, that's great. You should have helped me write the lesson for tonight, Carolyn. That's a great one. Yes. 
okay, so we're, yeah, we're investing ourselves without expecting anything in return. We're just doing it for the sake of serving God, right? Doing that for sure. Yeah, Van. Yeah, that's not always easy, is it? <laughs> How many of us have had to do that? We've had to pursue something or do something that God's led us to do, and it was kind of like, eh, I don't know, <laughs> right? Where we've all been there. So, yes. Right, which is kind of tying in with this idea of having a master too, right? But we have to submit to authority. Um, yeah, that's a great way to put it. Humble. Did you get a hold of my outline before tonight? Because you and Tom are just like going point by point here. So, all right, great. Yes, yes. I can think of two ladies in our church family that for years, in my estimation, were the most humble servants because they came to baptism for years. Their life took enjoying it and handling it year after year after year. Oh, wow. That's a messy job too, those servants. They were true servants. Yeah, that, that takes servanthood for sure. Not everybody's signing up for that duty, are they? Yes, sir. Yeah, that's a very good point. Um, it's you just. Being a servant just means complete self-denial, and that's one area that we have to be willing to deny self in. Thank you. Great point. Anybody else? I don't want to cut you off. If you want to participate tonight, anybody else, when you hear the word servant, what do you think of? Sure, sure. Yeah, that's what it takes. You'll never be a servant if you can't do that. All right, anybody else? We'll take just a moment. Am I fading in and out? Okay. Dave gave me one of these. That means just go on. Yep, there you go. Right, that should be our aspiration, right? I mean, that should be, we talk about aspiring to something. That should be it right there. But you ask most people, and they're not going to tell you, oh, I'm aspiring to be a slave, right? No one's going to say that. But that's what the believer should say. Because at the end, that's all that matters if we hear those words. So wonderful. Thank you. Anybody else before we move on? As we continue on tonight, it's just to point out, you know, James is not the only one who identifies as a servant. We know that from Scripture. And I just wanted to remind you of this. In Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul says, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. He says something similar in Philippians chapter 1, but he pulls Timothy into it. As you know, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ. The apostle Peter in his second epistle does the same thing. He says, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, and continues on with the introduction to his letter. And you look at these men uh, who... Wow, what a, what a spiritual legacy and resume they had, but yet they weren't hung up on any of the accomplishments that God had allowed them to do. They wanted to self-identify as a slave. 
And that just speaks volumes, I think, to all of us. That Greek word, anybody know or remember what the Greek word is here for servant? You've probably heard it a million times. You've been in church for a long time. Anybody remember? It's doulos. And it, it really does mean uh, someone who is a slave or a servant. And so it's a very humble position. Uh, it's not glamorous, but yet it is exactly what God is looking for from us. So we, um, we want to uh, just look at some things tonight as we study servanthood. It's going to have a topical flavor to it. We're not going to just stay in James 1.1, but we're going to look at some things and hopefully after tonight, we will we'll understand it and we'll be able to take an inventory of our own hearts and lives to see if we are serving in the way that God wants us to. So let's jump into our study. The servanthood truly is the calling of all disciples. It's really what we're called uh, to do. And God just kind of comes out in through Jesus Christ in, in the New Testament, in Matthew especially, when he commissions uh, the apostles and, and ongoing from there, the church. And he just says, look, you are here not for yourselves. What does he tell them? You go make disciples. And right away, he just starts an assignment as the master. And he, he identifies for everyone who was alive at that point and everyone who follows later that the way that you glorify God is by not living your life for yourself, but living your life for me and in turn for others and making disciples out of them. So we are to be heralds of the gospel as servants we're to live out whatever that looks like and whatever enables us to make disciples. And if we don't do that, it's, it's pretty clear to me that we're just totally missing why we're here. God gives us purpose in that statement as our master, and we need to humbly submit to that directive which should shape everything that we do in life. Everything we do in life should somehow be connected to our mission, and, and we're all working on that. We're probably all at different stages in our discipline as far as what that looks like. But don't forget that. Uh, those were the things that God gave to us, and he clearly identifies that he is the one giving the directive, and we're the one receiving the directive. And as good servants, we should be doing that. So it truly is um, our call. Jesus teaches this. And uh, I'll just uh, look at a few scripture references with you. You may want to jot down Matthew 23, 8 through 12. Jesus taught this. He says, but you uh, do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all brethren. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. And do not be called teachers, for one is your teacher, the Christ. But he who is greatest among you, you shall, you shall be your servant. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So the servant model is the way to true greatness, and obviously it takes humility to get there. But Jesus teaches that in Matthew 23. He also exemplifies this in a powerful way, doesn't he? I want you to think of the words in John 13, where Jesus is with his followers, and we know the scene there. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. 
For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who sent you, who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. That is such profound truth about servanthood. Jesus says, look, I did this as an object lesson to show you what service looks like. You use titles to refer to me, right? Teacher, Lord. And if your Lord and your teacher has just washed your feet, you need to follow in that example because a servant is not greater than his Lord or his teacher. So you, by application, are to serve one another. And Jesus gives this living, you know, in, in real life color, this object lesson by washing their feet, all to teach them about service. And that same example should be just as profound to us today. Jesus, of course, teaches it not just through his words, but also through his actions. He did not come to be served, but he came to serve, the scripture tells us. Philippians chapter 2, a passage that we referred to this morning, talks about his mindset, that he came uh, as a human being in the form of a servant. That's how Jesus came uh, to, to uh, seek and to save that which was lost at great cost and even peril to himself. So Jesus teaches it, but he also shows it through his example. The scriptures also uh, speak of the fact that we are to be um, servants. And I just want to read to you a few things that the scriptures say that we are to serve, just to, just to be reminded of that. In Hebrews 9.14, we find this verse, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So this redemptive process that we experience and enjoy, that we are rescued from sin, is all being done so that we will turn from, from that which characterizes the old former life and we will serve the living God. So scripture is clear that we are to be servants of God. We're also technically to be servants of Jesus Christ. We learned that from the first verse of our book study. James says he was a servant or slave of God, and he says also the Lord Jesus Christ. So we are to consider both of those as uh, ones that we are to submit to and to serve. Romans chapter 6 has an interesting way of putting it. We are to serve or be slaves to or of righteousness. Romans 6, 17 and 18. Listen to these verses. But God be thanked that through you, that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I don't think you can be a servant or slave of God unless you find yourself here, a servant or slave of righteousness. If you're not pursuing righteousness, then you're not going to be obeying your master and you won't be a very good servant. So being a slave of righteousness, you talk about how can I be a, a great servant of God? Pursue righteousness in every way. That will lead you down the road of being the type of servant that God wants you to be. 
you know, we're also supposed to serve one another as well. Let me just read to you Galatians 5:13. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. And then uh, we also have mention of uh, some of these things, and I won't read the passage, but 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 23. So the Scripture teaches us clearly, serve God, serve Jesus, be a slave to righteousness, and as you're doing that, don't forget about one another. Serve one another. That is one of those commands and one of those teachings in Scripture that is almost impossible to do without being with one another. Now, there are some things you could do to serve someone remotely, but that list is probably pretty short, isn't it? This is one of those that really points out the importance of being with God's people and, and serving them and doing it well. Uh, for one, it's hard to even know what's going on in someone's life if you don't invest time with them. And then to be able to serve them in practical ways you have to go beyond some boundaries and do that. And many of the other one another commands also uh, testify to this and draw us together, showing us the importance of being together. That's why I say to you that the church was made to gather, and it is critical and important that we do it, as Hebrews says, so much the more as we see the day approaching. And we need to be fulfilling those one another commands as we do it. The next thing that I want to point out to you is that servanthood is truly a mark of maturity. And if you are a mature believer and Christian, you are going to be someone who has grown in their service. I don't think that you can claim to be spiritually mature if you're a weak servant. You may have a lot of head knowledge and be very well educated in theology, but if it doesn't mean anything practical to you, it hasn't affected you as a believer, as a servant, then you really haven't grown. You may have grown intellectually, but that's it. So we need to be very careful in, in uh, ascertaining where we are individually on this spectrum of growth. But to be a mature believer, I think it means that you have grown in your servanthood and that you are utilizing the giftedness that God has given to you to serve in the ways that we've just talked about. So it is a sign or a mark of maturity. Immature people, we would just say, are usually self-centered people. How many of you can remember back to when you had babies in the home, right? Maybe some of you have them now, but most of you probably don't, right? Um, are babies humble, selfless beings? <laughs> no, it's all about them, right? That's why we lovingly call them the boss, right, when we see them. We know who's running that home, right? That baby wants certain things and needs certain things and lets you know all about it. Well, as a baby matures and grows, they learn differently, right? Hopefully you as parents taught them differently that life wasn't all about them and that your family didn't revolve around them, right? Not that you neglected them, of course, but children need nurture and admonition so that they too can grow up to be selfless people. But we all, we all start off life very self-centered. And it's only through maturity that we grow out of that. 
The same is true for a believer. We grow out of self-centeredness by maturing, by growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus, and then we can be the servants that God truly wants us to be. So we would say then that mature disciples have died to self while serving God and others. This is how James could say in chapter 1 and verse 1, I am James who is a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. That was the way he wanted to be known and remembered. And he had been able to communicate in this way about himself and it being true because he had truly died to self. We could go back to Paul as we pointed out earlier in our study tonight that he identified in the same way. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. He identifies that way, then he pulls Timothy into that other passage that we read. And we look at Paul's life. And Paul kind of rehearses, we won't read those verses tonight, but he does rehearse that. And he talks about the things that he suffered as he pursued God's call on his life. How does someone get to the point where they are willing to do that? I mean, to really suffer, because Paul really suffered. None of us have probably even approached that degree of suffering at all, I wouldn't think. But he did. And the way that he got there was because he had matured as a servant. He had died to self, truly the definition of maturity. So don't trick yourself into thinking that the length of your journey is what makes you mature or how much you know about the scriptures is what makes you mature. No, it's the application of the theology. It's the growth and grace and knowledge of Jesus. That's what defines maturity. And it manifests itself in selfless living that serves God and serves others in a passionate and effective way way. That's what maturity looks like. Number three tonight, servanthood demands certain important elements. And this is where we're going to see um, that some of you brought up some of these points tonight that you thought of when we said the word servant. And I love that because I think we're thinking correctly this evening and we're certainly on the same page. The first thing is obedience. If you're going to be a servant, it demands that you are obedient. It's a slave-to-master relationship. The slave doesn't know any law but his master's word. He has no rights of his own. He is the absolute possession of his master. He is bound to give his master unquestioning obedience. We all know that. We all know that, but do we live that way? Are we truly this dedicated and committed to the will of God? Well, it should be exactly the way that we live, and often we need reminded of, of passages like 1 Corinthians 6. Let me read to you verses 19 and 20. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. The servant gets that. The servant considers this and applies this to the circumstances and events of life. 
It's not all about me. I'm not the one in charge. I belong to God. He purchased me. It is my, my privilege and honor to obey him and glorify him as a result of that purchase. And we willingly and happily dedicate ourselves to him through this, this obedience, absolute obedience. So it's a good thing for us to check up. Are we being obedient? Is there anything right now that God has very definitely said to you or requires of you that you are struggling to perform because of surrender, because you haven't surrendered and you're not being completely obedient. Now that could touch several different things in our life. The whole scriptures are full of things that God expects of us. Are we learning those things and submitting to those things? When we hear teaching, are we learning those things and submitting to those things? When God leads us in a particular direction, are we willing to follow? Even if it's something that maybe we don't have all of the, the questions answered. We may be like Abram and not even know completely where we're going, but we know God is just leading us, so we're going to follow, and wherever he wants us to go is fine. That absolute obedience is critical. We won't be God's servants without it. There's a second thing. One of you pointed this out earlier. It's, it's all about humility too, isn't it? If, if we don't have humility, we cannot absolutely obey. We'll be too caught up doing our own thing. We must have a humble opinion of ourselves. And, and we must have the right estimation. Again, we're going to use Paul as our example. I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. Let me read verses 9 and 10 for you. Here's Paul's assessment of himself. And this always blows my mind, but here's what he says. For I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because... Here it is. This is why Paul thought this. I persecuted the church of God. I was a scoundrel. I do not deserve to be here. The only way I'm here, what does verse 10 say? But by the grace of God, I am what I am. A servant never loses sight of the transformational grace of God that enables him to do anything that he does. Paul was... Wow, a towering figure of church history. And he says, I don't deserve this. In fact, I don't even deserve to be an apostle. It's only by the grace of God and his grace toward me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, he says, but the grace that was given. So, so he, he really focuses in on what is critical in his own self-assessment. And he says... I'm nothing without God. A servant must have that same mindset. What about Ephesians 3.8? 1 Corinthians is not the only place that Paul talks like this. Ephesians 3 and verse 8, he says, To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ the least of all the saints. You know, for the believer, it's, it's hard sometimes as we get more mature in the faith. I think our pride becomes more and more of a struggle for us. 
And it's because of the wonderful works of God and, and all that he does or maybe uses us to accomplish. And just like Paul, and, and we get to that point and it's almost like the more maturity we have and the further in our journey we've gone, this struggle and this fight to remain humble is difficult. But here's Paul still, after all these accomplishments, still saying, I am the least of all the saints. I'm the least of all the saints. Let us cultivate that same mindset. He also talks this way in another passage in 1 Timothy 1.15. Let me read that for you. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. What does he say next? Of whom I am what? Chief. Wait a minute, Paul. <laughs> really? Yes, yes. Because Paul realized that only by God's grace could he ever do anything. Let's not forget that. It will help us have a servant's heart to a deeper level and have more of a profound impact for eternity if we will just land on this and keep this at the center of our lives. And, you know, involved in all of this, too, I think, this helps us as we serve not to get our feelings hurt. Because that, that usually causes a lot of problems in churches. We get our feelings hurt because of our pride many times, maybe not all the time, but many times. And if we can't bring ourselves back to centering on humility, then it's going to cause all kinds of problems in our walk with the Lord and our relationship with others. So let's work on this and let's, let's grow in this together because I think it's a struggle for all of us. The final thing that I want to say to you tonight, and we're going to close um, this particular section, and then we're going to look at a final thought on servanthood. But this section closes with loyalty. A servant is loyal. And we are to be loyal, of course, to our master first. Paul puts it this way in Galatians 1.10. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a servant of Christ. Paul just lays it out. I'm not loyal to anyone but my master. I am here not to please men, but to please Christ. I am loyal to him. It was that kind of loyalty that motivated the apostles in the book of Acts. You remember that statement they made? We ought to obey who? God rather than man. They were loyal servants to God. They, they put themselves at great risk to do that, as did the Apostle Paul. So obedience, humility, and loyalty to our master are definitive, indispensable things when it comes to our servanthood. And I hope that we'll all cultivate those well. You know, it's a great honor as I close out our lesson tonight. It's a great honor to be a servant, and it puts us in some amazing company. Again, all trophies of God's grace. These people were, were not great because of who they were, but they had a great God. And it's just interesting. I just wanted to remind you of these things. First of all, with, with Abraham and even Isaac and Jacob, Deuteronomy 9.27, Moses says, remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do not look on the stubbornness of this people or on the wickedness of their sin. So, 
these men were called servants of God. In, in, in uh, 1 Kings, Moses is identified, chapter 8 and verse 53, that Moses, as you spoke by your servant Moses when you brought our fathers out of the land of Egypt, O Lord God. So Moses was known this way too. How about Joshua? In Joshua 24, 29, now it came to pass after these things that Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being 102 years old. If that's all anybody ever said about us after we died, wouldn't that be enough? I mean, just think about that. This man served God. He was a servant of the Lord. That's all we need to know. That, that is the greatest memory and legacy that anyone could ever leave. Caleb in Numbers chapter 14, but my servant Caleb because he has a different spirit in him and has followed me fully. Well, that's a great way to be known, isn't it? I will bring into the land where he went and his descendants shall inherit it. He was my servant, God said, and he had a different spirit in him, different from those around him at that time. He followed me fully. Absolute obedience. You can't be a servant without it. How about Job in Job chapter, oh, I'm forgetting to advance these. Thank you, whoever did that for me. Job, Job chapter 1 and verse 8, God is speaking. He says, then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man? You remember I said earlier, if you want to be the servant of God that you're supposed to be, pursue righteousness, Job did that. And that's exactly where he ended up, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns or hates evil. Isaiah and Isaiah 20 and, and verse 3 is called my servant by God. The prophets in Jeremiah 7 were called this. And of course, Jesus, our greatest example in Philippians 2, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He came in the form of a servant in the likeness of men. And he did so willingly and joyfully to rescue us from sin. So I say servanthood is honorable. Look at the company that you're in when you're a servant. Oh, yes, it takes humility, takes loyalty, takes obedience, self-denial. Yep. But you find yourself in the greatest of all company. And one day, as you remain faithful as our brother reminded us, to hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That should be our aspiration. And I hope that we'll live every day trying to meet that goal and, and experience that aspiration when we stand before our great God. We can't do it ourselves. As Paul reminds us, it's only by God's grace that keeps us from having anything whatsoever to boast about. I'm going to invite our worship team back. We're going to worship together in response to this. And as they're coming, let's just all stand together and uh, get ready to sing. And then I'll close us in prayer tonight.